That is the traditional Hebrew prayer for healing. It was being sung last Thursday evening at Temple Emmanuel in Newton, but there were only a handful of people in the room. The rest were watching online. Rabbi Wes Gardenswartz introduced the prayer that night with thoughts for those suffering from the ravages of the coronavirus, and he asked the congregation to hold particularly close the brave healthcare providers who are putting themselves at risk by caring for those who are sick. But how do we hold each other close and maintain community when the cruel reality of this pandemic insists that we stay apart physically? I'm Michael Jonas from Commonwealth Magazine, and that's our focus on this week's episode of the podcast. I'm joined by my colleague, Sarah Betancourt. Hey, Sarah. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us. And we are so grateful to have with us Rabbi Gardenswartz from Temple Emmanuel. Welcome, Rabbi. Thank you so much. Pleasure to be here. And also joining us is Pastor Day McAllister of First Church Somerville, which is part of the United Church of Christ. Hello, Pastor Day, and thank you so much for joining us. Good afternoon, everyone. It's wonderful to be with you today. And so in keeping with our theme, uh, the four of us are not in the same room, but are, are connected here uh, online. And uh, Pastor Day, uh, just help us understand what's, what's been your message to members of your church uh, during these, these really trying times. It's been really interesting for us here at First Church because we are in the Christian season of Lent. And liturgically, this is a time when Christians are reflective, when we are sort of contending with our own morality. And so to be having these conversations around COVID-19 during the season of Lent has actually been very helpful. We haven't had to rewrite many sermons over here. Uh, We were already going to be talking about sort of the messiness of humanity and the messiness of humanity that is seen in the life and death of Jesus, and the messiness that we see in doing our work to remain connected one to another as humans. And this time has certainly given us a lot uh, to examine. Absolutely. And, and, and Rabbi uh, Gardensworth, what's been your message uh, at Temple Emmanuel during these really uh, tumultuous days of upheaval for, for people? Yeah, thank you, Michael. So, um, you know, they say that a crisis is a terrible thing to waste. And we have seen this crisis really as an opportunity to reinvent ourselves. So our building is closed. Uh, Our building is totally closed. Uh, There's no energy in the building. Only uh, a few clergy are here. But the community is the opposite of closed. The community is reinvented digitally And ironically, we are touching more people and we are reaching more people now digitally than we ever reached physically before. As an example, um, you know, and I would say there's three areas. In prayer, we have daily services that are reaching a lot more people. We have learning classes online, Zoom classes that are reaching a lot more people and a lot more justice work, a lot more loving kindness work, a lot more impact Uh, of people helping people, all of that is on fire. All of that is alive in ways that are deeper than happened before COVID-19. And what's the sort of message you've been saying in the services to people about sort of how to face what we're all going through? The message has been that, um, that, you know, this is part of our Passover season when we talk about the Exodus and we go from slavery to freedom. Right. And so the story is 
that we have to take our, our hardest parts, our most painful parts of our past, and it has to cause us to become better, stronger, deeper. You know, the Israelites let slavery happen to them and they didn't let it go to waste. They said, okay, we were slaves, therefore we need to be kind to people who are vulnerable and we need to do the same kind of inversion. How do we take COVID-19, which nobody asked for, and how does it make us better, stronger, deeper? That's our message. And Pastor Day, at, at your church, uh, uh, you know, sort of what have you been doing to kind of continue that, that outreach uh, that, that can't be done, you know, in the same way with, uh, you know, physical proximity, but that I guess we at least have sort of technology a little bit more uh, on our side in, in terms of being able to maintain those kind of connections. Well, I think a lot of, uh, of our siblings and faith have been finding ways to remain connected. One of the decisions that we made early on was that we wanted to keep our building open to the community for as long as the health department would allow. And we were willing to sacrifice being able to gather together in worship so that our building could be a site that was used by the community. We've been in partnership for over 40 years with the Somerville Homeless Coalition. And that coalition offers a meal to individuals who are food insecure every Monday at 4 p.m. Well, we recognize that many of those individuals do not have the option to store up food for two weeks. They do not have the option to shelter in place. And if we were to shut that meal down, then that would hit the most vulnerable at a time when they are desperately in need of the safety nets that our community, our church, and our government are charged to provide. So we worked really hard to keep that open. We made the changes that the health department required so that it was a takeout meal. We also prioritized our recovery and our support groups. And though they usually meet in smaller spaces, we surrendered our sanctuary so that our AA groups could continue to meet. We increased the amount of cleaning we were doing in our building so we could make it as safe as possible for them and then left them instructions on how they could sanitize the space. And though the numbers are small, we know that individuals having the opportunity to check in with one another is allowing them to manage the increased amount of stress that can, in many instances, cause a relapse. That, for us, is the work of the church. Aside from that, our worshiping and being together, we have a relatively young congregation, and so the digital stuff came very easy to us. We have bedtime stories Monday through Friday to the youngest members of our congregation, and it has been the absolute best to see our families gathered around their screens and kids in pajamas and all of us reading a story together. It's really been a, a wonderful outcome of what has otherwise been an incredibly difficult time. I mean, it almost sounds like, uh, just as, as, as Rabbi Wes is saying, that, um, I mean, he said that they've sort of had more going than ever. I mean, I, I, I would guess that in some ways, uh, Pastor Day, I mean, you've had, uh, for some families, they've had sort of daily contact together with each other or with the church in a way that, that it, you know, things might not have happened at that, with that degree of regularity, uh, you know, pre, pre-coronavirus, I guess. Well, I think the rabbi said it best a few moments ago in acknowledging that all of our faith traditions require us to take the worst of our history and to use it to create a better future. That's what all of the sacred texts are about. And this is one of those moments. And it's easy right now to think of synagogue, to think of 
churches to think of mosque as places and worship is something we do in a building. But the beginnings of these faiths were not in buildings. They were in people's homes. There were a few people together who were sharing a story, sometimes a meal. We have the ability to do that with technology, and that makes it a little less lonely for us. But the church has never been about the buildings. It's never been about the structure of worship. It has always been about a love that is abiding, a love that abides from the creator to creation, and a love that abides between those of us who are uh, the created. This is an opportunity for us to extend that love, to be more cognizant of nature and the world around us. Um, in some ways, we are giving the earth a break that she long needed. And so there are some opportunities in this crisis for us to reconnect with one another. And I'm happy for that. Pastor Day and, uh, and Rabbi, how are you and your congregation supporting others who have mental health issues during all of this? And what have check-ins been like with you and in your flock? Yeah, so um, it's such an important uh, question, Sarah, because uh, the need for connection has never been greater. Uh, people are isolated by definition. Uh, they are afraid by definition. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of risk. There's a lot of unknown. And just when they need people the most, they have people the least. So what, what we've done, and I'm sure that, you know, this is what many most, if not all faith communities do in their own way, we have um, mobilized our members to call one another. So I'll give you an example. We have something like over 500 members who are older than 70 years old. And as you know, that's one of the more vulnerable categories. So every member of our community who is older than 70 uh, has received multiple calls from people uh, first, just checking in. How are you? So that, you know, somebody knows that you exist and we're thinking about you, we care about you. And then um, in addition to that, what is it that we can do to help you? Uh, what groceries do you need, etc.? And there are any number of stories of people calling uh, people in their 70s and 80s and they say, I'm out of milk, I'm out of cleaning supplies, I'm out of whatever. And the person who's making the call literally runs to the grocery store, gets the supply, and drops it off at their home. That kind of thing happens multiple times a day, every day. It's another irony that there's more decency, more justice, more impact going on now than before COVID-19. We're alive in a deeper way. I agree. Those are, uh, those are wonderful stories, Rabbi, and thank you for sharing. Well, I've got to tell you that we probably have a congregation that is uh, a little different than uh, Rabbi Wes's. Our congregation is incredibly young. At 55, I'm one of the older members in our church, and we are known for being incredibly energetic. And we have a lot of children, uh, over 70 in our Sunday school program. And so it's not uncommon to see a lot of dancing and celebration and joy and exuberance. And so our kids have all of this energy and we are finding that folks are going outside a lot more, that they're taking walks. And one of the things that we've been doing to sort of help, especially with mental uh, health, I am an individual who, um, who lives with depression. And um, we are now having dance breaks as a church uh, twice a day. 
So in the morning time, we will have a dance break with gospel music. And then the afternoon, we're having dance breaks with uh, R&B funk. And we literally take about 10 minutes. Uh, we post it up on Facebook that we're having a dance break. Anyone from uh, any place or time, whenever they come upon the dance break, we turn up the music, we stand up, and we just shake out all of this anxiety, fear, confusion that so many of us are feeling. We are cognizant of the fact that the body does indeed keep score. And if we don't find ways to release this energy, it does get, um, unfortunately, carried out, uh, sometimes against the people that we love the most. There have been spikes throughout the country in domestic violence, children who are being put at risk. And so anything that we can do to encourage people, to uplift people, to help to keep people um, in a spirit of enthusiasm and hope, we're doing our part. So if you haven't participated in one of our dance breaks, I would encourage you to stop by. It is a lot of fun. So Full disclosure here, I am a member of Pastor Day's congregation, and I've borne witness to the fantastic Facebook live dance classes and um, and dance celebrations. So it, it definitely does seem to be something that a lot of members of the congregation are just looking forward to for just stress relief and 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 just general engagement. Well, I'll say this, Sarah, and I'm so glad you've been able to participate, that I know there are some people who will hear about a dance break and they'll think that's really trivial or that's really silly. There are people's lives who are on the line. There are individuals who are in need of care. And that is absolutely true. And for individuals who are experiencing the anxiety, the frustration, the fear, the anger at the response to this virus by um, some individuals who are in authority in our government, like those feelings are real. But one of the things that I learned several years ago um, when I was having a major depressive episode was that I thought that my joy came from being productive. I thought that I was energetic because I felt good about getting things done. And I learned that it was the exact opposite that there will always be more things to do than I have the time or the energy or the bandwidth to compete, to complete. It's actually nurturing my joy that gives me the energy to do the work. And right now we have a host of parents who are trying to work full-time jobs. They have become cafeteria specialists. They are teaching children in two or three different grades. They are trying to remain connected. They are trying to nurture their marriages. And it's more than any of us can do. And so to take a few moments to nurture our joy, to sing, to pay attention to the birds that are outside, to smell the roses, to allow our feet to play in the mud, those are the kinds of things that are allowing people to have the energy and the strength to pray, to do the work of justice, to feed our neighbors, to care for one another, and to ensure that we all come out of this a little better than we were on the way in. On that score, uh, Rabbi Wes, how do you uh, how do you how are you approaching the kind of need for kind of maintaining spiritual health uh, during these times? Yeah, so I I think this is another uh, one of the ironies of history, Michael, which is that a lot of people who um, did not used to connect with the synagogue as much are connecting uh, 
much more actively than than they ever did before. Um, you know, so we have a prayer service every morning, uh, and then we have a prayer service every evening. I think the song that you took, the healing song, was from last night's healing uh, song. Typically, our our morning service and our evening service get about fifteen to twenty people a day um, when when people were able to come physically into our chapel. Today, now that we're streaming it uh, online, we get more than 200 people following uh, this service. And afterwards, the dialogue continues because 200 people will celebrate this service, will sing together, and then the dialogue continues and they'll be sending us emails about the service, uh, about comments that were made or learning that was shared. So there's an ongoing dialogue. And I think the important thing is that it is daily. On the Jewish liturgical calendar yesterday, we read a reading from Numbers chapter 28 that talks about the high priest in the biblical period who would offer the tamid sacrifice. Tamid means daily, every day. And this priest would offer this every morning and every night. And in a world where there's so much changing, in a world where we control so little, it becomes very important to at least control who we are, to control what we do and who we are and what we do every morning and every night. So these services give people an opportunity to check in with God, to check in with one another, to be part of a real, although virtual community. And I think that the, again, the ironic impact is that more people are connected spiritually in this age of physical distancing than were connected spiritually before, because it fulfills human needs for meaning and purpose, especially at a hard time. Every single day that we are here, there is an opportunity for joy and there is the reality of sadness. And we all get to choose each day whether we will lean into the sadness that is a reality that's brought to us by poverty and suffering and injustice and racism and homophobia and any number of isms that we could call out, or whether we choose to lean into our joy, which for me is brought about based in my faith. These times are no different. We are charged in the Christian tradition to weep with those who are weeping and to celebrate with those who are celebrating. And so for every individual who is weeping right now, because they don't know if someone they love is going to be able to recover for every person on the front lines who is praying that someone is making a mask, that ventilators are going to show up. For every family who is having to quarantine separately, we are focusing our love and our care and our hope towards them, crying and weeping with them, and hoping that when the morning comes, we can all celebrate that together. Past your day, earlier you mentioned this idea of service, of doing work for to connect the community and of having mm-hmm. congregants who work in the healthcare profession, mm-hmm. um, people who are really on the front lines of all of this. Yes. And I remember seeing something on Facebook about the church organizing to create masks. And I was wondering if you could talk about some of those organizing efforts taking place to to help some of these hospital workers who are in our congregations? Thank you, Sarah. I think too many of us have seen and been horrified at the conditions that the individuals on the front lines are facing. Um, 
doctors and nurses, technicians who are having to put themselves in harm's way, and to some extent their families in harm's way in order to care for all of us. And so we've heard the calls and the requests for masks. And so there are members in our community who've accepted a challenge to deliver 50 masks to one of our local hospitals by the beginning of next week. We intend to keep that challenge going for every week until we can ensure that everyone on the front lines has the protective gear that they need in order to be able to serve. We also recognize that there are folks who do not have the resources to go out and to get food. And so we have um, cards that we are providing to our local grocers. We're also trying to send food to those individuals on the front lines, home cooked meals. There have to be some precautions, but anything we can to send our love and care to those who are working so hard on all of our behalves. The, the lesson of Passover is that uh, suffering happens and it is on us to redeem that suffering by being more empathetic and more compassionate. I mean, the worst thing that happened to the Israelites in the Bible was they were slaves for 430 years. And the single most frequent command in the Torah, it's offered 36 times, is because you were slaves, therefore be kind to the vulnerable. Because you were slaves, therefore be kind to the oppressed. Because you were slaves, therefore see those who are not seen and hear those who are not heard. Convert your pain into empathy. Convert the worst thing that ever happened to you into becoming a better person. And that is the message of Passover. And I think that's what we're trying to do. How can the coronavirus that nobody asked for, that causes untold suffering, how can it inspire us uh, to become the best versions of ourselves? That's our spiritual homework. Well, I wanna thank you both so much for taking time amidst everything that's going on to talk with us. Pastor Day McAllister, uh, from the First Church, Somerville. Thanks so much for talking with us. Thank you, Michael, Sarah. And, and Rabbi Wes Gardenswartz from Temple Emanuel in Newton. Thank you. It was, a, it was a privilege to share this dialogue with you. Thank you all. And for my colleague, Sarah Betancourt, I'm Michael Jonas at Commonwealth Magazine. We thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast, and we are going to go out with a little bit of music from a recent service at First Church of Somerville that was mostly taken in by congregants via Zoom. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>